Chapter Nine of One Commonplace Day by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Nine: A Victim of Circumstance. Ordinarily, a greeting of this sort would have had no charms for Eben Bruce. He was inclined to be quiet and studious. He was ambitious and meant to be something more than a second bookkeeper in a retail store. But just now he felt alone and friendless and sore-hearted. He felt like being avenged on all aristocrats who judged of people by the clothes they wore. If Miss Josie Fleming did not think enough of him to introduce him to her high-toned friends, it seems her brother was not of that stamp, for his companions were, two of them, sons of rich men, and they gave him cordial greeting. Why shouldn't he go with people who were glad to have him and enjoy himself in their way if he could? and he went forward with them into the smoking-car and accepted a cigar though he rarely smoked and he spent that entire afternoon with those four young men not as they had at first intended in fact it would have been hard for them to tell what they had at first intended they had no definite plan beyond the fun of smuggling a basket of wines into the temperance picnic grounds fred fleming it was true had planned in his own mind that he would carry a tray of wine-glasses, well filled, among whatever party the temperance lecturer seated himself with, and offer them with his best bow. But this part of the program he failed to carry out. And I cannot help thinking it a pity that he did, because people with wide-open eyes can often accomplish what those with the best intentions and blinded eyes fail to do. What these young men had done was to drink more liquor than two of them, at least, were used to. In fact, Evan Bruce was used to none. He had been brought up by a careful mother, who knew little of the world and its temptations. She used no liquors in her home, because she had never been in the habit of doing so. She attended no temperance meetings, because there had never been any drunkenness in their family, and was not likely to be she wished well to the cause because the drunkards poor miserable wretches ought to be saved she supposed if they could be though they always seemed to her more like brutes than men she objected to her little boys joining a juvenile temperance organization because she did not believe in urging children to tamper with promises promises were sacred things she refused to urge him to join the young men's temperance society when he was older because his tastes and inclinations were all in another direction from those poor tempted fellows who were becoming members. What was the use in mixing society so? Eben would be a student, and students were always gentlemen. And so the years passed, and Eben's father died, and the money which was to send Eben to college was swept away in that mysterious fashion which happened so often and Eben went out from the shelter of home, with his refined tastes and his student habits, to mix with a world none too gentle at its best, unfortified by warning or pledge or any such thing, for the temptations which were sure to assail him on every hand. The wonder was that he had gotten through nearly a year in comparative safety." he did not know that he possessed the sort of brain which would respond to the touch of alcoholic poison as surely and as quickly as gunpowder responds to the touch of fire. He aimed to be a physician, 
and pored of nights over musty volumes of learned treatises about the nature of the skin and structure of the human frame, and yet he did not know, not having been taught, the sure action of alcohol on liver and lungs and stomach, and, above all, brain. It will surely not be considered strange that such was the case, when you remember that apparently only about one physician in a hundred understands anything of this matter. Poor Eben Bruce was not a physician, and was as ignorant as a babe about some things which he ought to have learned at his mother's knee. Do you need to be told that he made a discovery that afternoon? Yes, it happened that he had lived to be twenty-one years of age without ever having tasted anything that can intoxicate. He had lived a sheltered home life, and had not chanced to associate with people who tempted him but it happened also that the first taste awakened a demon within him that may have been sleeping for generations back for aught that i know probably if you care to trace back the genealogical record of the bruce family on the father's or the mother's side you may find a reason for this sudden flaming into life of a taste that was almost a passion ready to consume this unguarded young man anyway whether you do or not it was there and you know, or at least you ought to know, that there are hundreds and thousands like him, and that they are growing up in homes all about you. Their danger you do not suspect. Now, what will be the inevitable result of that afternoon's work? So far as the immediate result is concerned, after the first glass the victim wanted another and another. He alarmed his four companions. They tried to restrain him. They plunged deeper and deeper into the ravine. They had such an afternoon as they had not planned and will not soon forget. They succeeded at last in getting their lunatic to throw himself down on a bed of ferns and mosses, where he sank into the strangest sleep that his life had ever known. And, when he awakened, was it a wonder that his eyes were bloodshot and his step unsteady, and that his head throbbed, and that the pain in it was blinding? They did not dare, those four, that he should be seen by others of the company. He bore too distinctly the mark of his shame. In fact, he was not yet himself, but demanded more of the poison, and was fierce because there was none for him. They hurried him to the smoking-car. They found him a chance to lie down. They stood guard over him. When Lloyd McLean came in anxious search, they explained that it was a sudden headache which had attacked him, but that he was sleeping now, and they felt sure that rest was what he needed. "'He has been overworking,' Lloyd said, standing doubtfully by the side of the sleeper, whose face was carefully shielded from view. "'He studied last night until after midnight, and does so nearly every evening.' "'It is undoubtedly that which has caused this attack,' Fred Fleming said eagerly. I noticed that he looked very pale and worn when he came up this afternoon. Oh, he needs rest. He will be better, no doubt, for this nap. I will attend to his comfort when we reach the depot. You have a lady in charge this afternoon, have you not, McLean? Just so. Well, I will see that your friend gets to his room and his bed all right. I told our Jim to be at the depot with my phaeton, and I'll just drive around to your boarding-house and see that he is comfortable." oh thanks are not necessary i am glad to do it yes we were on the grounds all the afternoon 
but we went off on a tramp through the ravine and got farther in than we intended. Bruce is a little overdone with the exercise, too, I presume. And the door closed on Lloyd, who went back to his car and reported that his friend was suffering from nervous headache, but the boys who had taken him in charge were very kind. Warm-hearted fellows, evidently, if they were a little wild. And the boys laughed as the door closed after him, and Fred Fleming, drawing a relieved breath, declared himself glad that none of the sharper-eyed fellows had come in search of their victims, for if this thing had got out there would be no end of talk which would not be pleasant for the old folks. And I cannot help wondering what poor Evan Bruce's lady mother would have thought could she have seen her sheltered boy then. What is to be the fate of such as he, shielded by no promise either to mother or to God? left vulnerable, through ignorance, at almost every point of attack, inheriting a wild passion for the poison, which makes it seem almost impossible, for one unused to resisting, to resist, a passion all the more fierce and dangerous, perhaps, because not suspected heretofore, not understood now. God pity all such young men. Their mothers have failed them. Their teachers, both in the day and Sabbath school, have failed them. The country, which is bound to protect them, has failed them. How are they to be saved from their almost inevitable doom? Well, old fellow, so you went to the picnic after all, and so did I, and we were invisible each to the other, it seems, the whole afternoon. You had a time of it, I guess, and, by the way you tossed about and muttered all night, the night was as bad as the day. What set you into such a raging headache? Why, man, you look as though you had had a fit of sickness. Your eyes are bloodshot. What do you suppose has upset you so? Fate, said Evan Bruce laconically, turning on his pillow so that his eyes could not be seen by the sympathetic ones of Lloyd McLean. How came you to go? he asked, presently wondering vaguely in his mind if he had known that McLean was there, whether he would have sought him out, and the whole afternoon have been different. Oh, it was an eleventh-hour reprieve. Haskell found that he couldn't carry out his schemes, so he let me off. I tried to find you, but they said you had gone out for the afternoon. I went out of my way to see if you were not at the doctor's office, smelling of his musty books, but he sat on the piazza and said you hadn't been there. Then I flew and had just time to swing myself on the train. He did not sit on the piazza when I was there, said Eben Bruce. There was a shade of bitterness in his tone. If the doctor had been at home! That was what he thought. The fact is, the poor young man had not been brought up to be self-reliant, nor yet to lean on people who were strong enough to support his weight and he made the curious blunder, too, which nearly all such characters do make, of supposing himself to be very strong in character, simply because he was obstinate. "'What did you do with yourself all the afternoon?' questioned Lloyd, bustling about to finish his somewhat belated toilet. "'You fell in with a queer set, I should say. Were you with those fellows all the time? Poor victim!' If I had had the ghost of a thought that you were on the ground, I should have hunted you up. I stepped into a very high-toned society, spent half the afternoon listening to the orator. He gave us a first-class temperance address right there on the cliff. 
poor eben rolled over in the bed and emitted something between a sigh and a groan poor fellow said lloyd pausing long enough to give him a sympathetic glance your head is raging yet isn't it i wish you had been with us we had a quiet time and it would have done you more good than tramping around in the woods what possessed those fellows to drag you off into the ravine they are not particularly given to studying the beauties of nature as a general thing we had some rather interesting scenes up on the cliff durant knows how to talk i can tell you and that josie fleming succeeded in making almost a total abstinence fellow of me i think if i should meet her twice more i should be entirely converted josie fleming is her influence in that line it is more than her brother accomplished for me the latter part of the sentence was muttered and lost on lloyd because of his interest in what he was about to say decidedly in that line she talks like such a first-class idiot that you feel as though you must get out of her line right away in order to have an ounce of self-respect left i'll tell you what it is if i had a brother who lived as fast a life as they say fred fleming does i should take care not to try to trample on him as she did with her tongue yesterday you never heard a girl talk more like a simpleton she received some splendid answers though i should like to hear durant lecture the fact is eben you and i ought to have changed places yesterday the company i fell into would have been more in your line intellectual you know that crisp little old maid who lives in the large old-fashioned house back of the elms advanced some ideas that were like a frosty evening after a hot day you would enjoy her eben she is original well what do you mean to do next you'll have to lie by to-day i guess you don't look fit to lift your head from the pillow. Shall I report you at headquarters as under the weather? No, said Eben. I'll get up when you get out of the way, and I'll go to the store as usual. What do they care for headaches? He ought to have a rest of some sort, Lloyd McLean said to himself as he closed the door on his friend. He is getting completely knocked up over night work, I believe but an afternoon in the woods has not done much for him. Now I feel made over. I wish I had gone in search of Eben, and smuggled him into our set. That was the sort of company which he could have enjoyed. Ah, me! How often afterward Lloyd McLean wished just that thing! Why need people be so blind? Why must the gay, light-hearted young fellow have chattered on that morning, so full of his own life, that he could not see there was more than a common headache holding his roommate prisoner? Oh, for a friend just then! Someone with wide-open eyes and a wide-open heart, and wise forethought, to have stepped in to his aid. Someone who would have understood the unnatural look on the usually pale cheeks, and the unnatural gleam in the eyes." Mr. Durant was far on his westward journey this morning. Mr. Cleveland was busy among the grapevines in his garden, scanning them with critical eyes, and determining which needed training and which needed pruning. Charlie Lambert was sitting in the door of his office, smoking a cigar, and trying to decide how he would excuse himself to Miss Wainwright for not attending the projected prayer meeting, and Lloyd McLean, having hurried through his belated breakfast, was hurrying down street whistling, his mind full of pleasant remembrances of his holiday. 
there was no one to watch the human vine which so sadly needed culture this morning there was no one to understand the trembling of the unsteady hands which worked over the refractory buttons nobody noticed that he ate nothing at all at the uninvited breakfast table that he turned with loathing even from the coffee because it was both cold and weak nobody would have cared if they had seen him there was a letter awaiting him from his mother but it was brief and told him that she felt overworked and ill and that she did not recognize his last letter at first because of the rough ungainly appearance of the cheap envelope did he really feel reduced to this why yes she supposed it was as good as a poor clerk could afford she must remember that they were less than nothing now it did not matter what such people used she supposed he curled his lip bitterly over the words in his present unnatural mood they seemed to him to say much more than they did he crumpled the letter in a heap thrust it into his pocket and went out saying aloud no it doesn't matter nothing matters i can never be anything now i need not try dr brandon passed him with a hurried preoccupied bow it had occurred to the doctor once or twice to wonder whether he could not get those young men into his bible class and he meant some time when he had leisure to drop in and have a chat with them but on this particular morning he was deep in thought over a theological question on which he had just been reading an exhaustive argument and he went with swift steps over the very road which eben bruce must take they might have walked together and words might have been dropped which would have changed the history of the day who knows i know that they didn't and that eben bruce halted for the first time in his life at the door of a gilded saloon which occupied the corner around which dr brandon had passed in safety and went in and ordered a glass of brandy End of chapter 9